<clears throat> well, bad people ask good questions. At least they did in the days of Jesus, and I suppose they do in our day as well. Well, this morning we return to Matthew chapter 21. If you've been with us, we've been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew, going verse by verse in depth to see what the Word of God has to say about our lives. We do this in Emmanuel because the Word of God is powerful. The Scriptures are potent, they're sufficient. And we love to unpack them and bring them to bear in our lives. Matthew tells a great story. It's a story of the greatest life ever lived. It's the story of Jesus Christ. But not everyone agrees with that statement. The religious leaders of his time would take issue with it. And as we get into these final chapters of Matthew, they work a bit like a thermostat. It's getting hotter. It's clicking up with each passing chapter a little warmer in the room. Well, this morning it clicks up again. The religious leaders question the authority of Jesus Christ. And the question they ask is a good one. Where did you get your authority? Who gave it to you? You see, the concept of authority has fallen on hard times in our day. We might say that we live in a world with a crisis of authority. You and I lack trusted authorities. Each year, Gallup produces a poll. It's a poll on trust. Across the board, confidences shrank. A confidence in public schools the medical community, churches and banks and newspapers. Congress rose one point from two years ago, now clocking in at 12%. Who's in charge? Who can we trust? These answers don't come quite as fast as they once did. But I'll tell you this this morning, that the Word of God has an answer for us. And in our account today, some bad folks ask some good questions. And we'll discover that Jesus Christ is the authority. And He's one that we can trust. We'll see this morning two refreshing realities about authority. And it comes to us from Matthew chapter 21. Let's pick up in verse 23. We're picking up where we left off last time. The temperature rises. When Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one thing. Which, if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John was from what source? From heaven or from men? And they began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the people. 
for they all regard John as a prophet. And answering Jesus, they said, we do not know. He also said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. On our first point this morning, we will see that authority brings clarity. Authority brings clarity. And in our account, we begin with this confrontation. Jesus instructs, leaders instigate. Jesus is teaching in the temple. And this is his pattern throughout Holy Week, those final few days leading up to his crucifixion. He would go into Jerusalem to teach during the day, and he'd go back to Bethany to sleep in the evening. And I should say that I find it noteworthy that this is how he chose to spend his final few days. He chose to labor in teaching. He's feeding God's people. You see, you and I live in a time where churches are continually searching for that next trick or the next technique or the next tip, asking, what do people want in a church? Wherever a church lands on this, you got to take into account what's happening here. Jesus, in his final days, is teaching God's Word. The one who promised to build his church is spending his final moments teaching. He held a high view of the sufficiency of Scripture and the potency of Scripture. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. And as he's there teaching, he would have gazed up and seen in his audience a few folks who would have stood out. A group of men in nicer clothes, cleaner clothes. The chief priests and the elders arrive. Last week, back in verse 15, we saw these chief priests become indignant with Jesus. They couldn't believe he was receiving praise from children. They're shouting Hosanna, meaning God save us. Along with them today come the elders. These were most likely not priests. They had some clout, however. They were probably more like a lay leader among the Jewish religious establishment. One commentator identified them as members probably of prominent families. But taken together, these chief priests and these elders, we'd call them the big dogs of the Jewish faith. And what happens here is Jesus lights a fire in their backyard right in the temple, and they come along to put it out. By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave it to you? You see, this doesn't work. Not in first century Israel. Authority is a bit like currency. It needs to be produced at the mint and only the mint. You can't print it in your basement. And that's the angle of these religious leaders. Jesus just can't show up. He can't walk in and claim that he has authority. This is an issue. Who gave him these credentials? Now, to be fair, someone needs to police the temple This fell to the religious leaders, the chief priests, the elders, and so forth. Someone needs to watch the door. I mean, I would think that this is a a, a good thing to be happening. It's a, a function of shepherding. 
and you want to protect the flock. But the problem isn't the question necessarily. The problem is the heart behind the question. And we get a sense of that as we listen to their reasoning in verses 25 and 26. Their hearts aren't seeking truth. They're, they're trying to, to guard their, their power. I'm all ratted here. Let's just put all of their cards on the table. Their question has been answered already, hasn't it? From Galilee to Samaria to Judea, from Bartimaeus to Mary Magdalene to Lazarus, the blind see, the mute speak, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the lepers cleansed. You could call an eyewitness to the stand. And John the Baptist would get up exclaiming, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The demons would hide, asking, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? And God himself would thunder from heaven, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You see, there's no shortage of evidence to identify Jesus as the authorized son of the living God. I think the leaders acknowledge that much in verse 23. Those two little words, these things. By what authority are you doing these things? They bore witness. Two days of authority in the temple. Jesus was overturning tables. He's clearing out the merchants. All of that unholy behavior. He's healing the blind and the lame. The children are crying out. You see, for these religious leaders, this is no fact-finding mission. The facts are clear. This is entrapment. Unfortunately, they've matched wits with the wrong guy. Have you ever been outmatched, maybe surprised at your opponent? I remember in high school, my freshman year, through each year of high school, we had to do a unit of wrestling. In my freshman year, I remember, I was really confident in my weight class, but I had little experience. And I got paired up with a senior who was a wrestler, apparently since kindergarten. <laughs> it's a humbling experience. And Jesus here, he, he humbles his opponents. I mean, you can, you can feel that in this account today. They meet their match. And in verses 24 and 25, he pitches this question back to them. It's almost like this counter question. I will also ask you one thing. If you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. This baptism of John, was that from heaven or from men? The Gospel of Mark added two words after this question. It's a command. Jesus says, answer me. That's a man who speaks with authority. You see, John the Baptist and Jesus, they had a lot in common. Their, their ministries and their mission, they, they overlapped. They're closely aligned. To acknowledge John is coming from heaven, that, that's to acknowledge that Jesus came from heaven. His authority is derived from God. But to acknowledge John is from men, well, that would be to, to offend people who admire John. 
And back in this time, John was a really big deal to the nation of Israel, John the Baptist. He was the first prophet that was sent by God in, in hundreds of years. There's that space between the Old Testament and then the New Testament. That was a very quiet time in Israel. God stopped sending his prophets, and then John the Baptist walks on the scene. In fact, the Old Testament predicted John. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, a voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. This guy's a big deal. The Old Testament spoke of him. I'm afraid when the Old Testament speaks of me, it does not have good things to say of my heart. And John came preaching a message of repentance, a turning from sins. And people responded to this, and they were baptized. John held a special place in their hearts. Many people received this baptism. But what else do we know? The religious leaders opposed him. And they went out to see what John was up to in the wilderness. They came sniffing around his ministry and they got an earful from him. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, he would tell them. So now, Jesus raises his name with them once again. I would imagine this had to have some effect on them. Maybe there's a name when you hear it. It makes your blood pressure increase. Your heart beats a little faster. You find yourself suddenly driving 85 miles an hour at the sound of it. You're, you're digging into the cutting board. Your brow furls. Jesus raises the name of the man who condemned their establishment. And these guys, they need an answer, and they need an answer fast. Because why? Their authority is on the line. And they begin reasoning to themselves in verses 25 and 26. They huddle up. This is a closed-door discussion. There's no cameras here. There's no mics. This is no public hearing. On the surface, it's a very simple question that Jesus asks, isn't it? It should yield a simple answer. But their discussion, if you follow it, it reveals the problems that they have. There's a saying that that speaks of being, quote, on the horns of a dilemma. Have you ever heard of that? that? That is to say that there are two options that exist for a situation, and neither of them is very good. If we say from heaven, Jesus will say, then why did you not believe him? This would be a huge problem that these religious leaders who claim to know God have missed the guy God sent. And remember, this ministry of John and Jesus, they're they're closely aligned. So if John's authority was from heaven, well, then the authority of Jesus was as well. Horn number two. If we say from men, we fear the people, for they all regard John as a prophet. Again, the people love John, a national hero. You know, they they never heard Elijah, but they heard John. And if they disparage his ministry, the people are going to revolt. These leaders, they fear the people. 
They love the peace, the peace they have with the Roman occupiers. And they say that much. They're afraid of what people think. So here then are these mighty men of the Scriptures, these bastions of godliness and holiness. They have the law and the offerings and the city, and they have the titles, and they have the temple and the traditions. And there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. And this man, Jesus the Christ, validates his authority with irrefutable proofs, miracles, teachings, and changed lives. And the response to the question that Jesus very well could have asked any first grade Sunday school class is, I don't know. That's a lie. Because they do know. The baptism of John was from heaven, and it was authorized by God, and God gave Jesus his authority. So let's be clear this morning on authority. Jesus has all authority. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, God put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8. In subjecting all things to Jesus, God left nothing that is not subject to him. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus himself declares, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus has all authority. Let's be more clear. Whenever you and I encounter authority in this life, it is always a delegated authority. All delegated authority is limited authority. Unlimited authority belongs to Jesus. He is the only individual who has unlimited authority. And though in our society, great institutions lose trust, and though they fail in their use of authority given by Christ, you and I have clarity because we know Jesus has all authority. And he never abuses it. And he never misuses it. You see, the answer to who has authority is, I don't know who. It's not I don't know who, but rather it's like, let me show you. Let me tell you about Jesus and his authority. This must be crystal clear in our minds as the world around us continues to get this more wrong than the leaders did in their day. Let's keep going. Jesus continues. This authority that brings clarity is an authority that brings conviction. Authority brings conviction. And Jesus goes on to tell a parable It's a parable of two sons. A parable takes an observation from everyday life. It's used to illustrate a a spiritual principle. Some say it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. This parable of two sons will contrast two responses to the, the authority of Jesus. The leaders, recall, They're not going to respond to this question asked by Jesus. And Jesus in verse 27 replies to them, I will not tell you by what authority 
I do these things. Immediately he shifts into a parable. Verse 28, but what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing, and he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. And you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterward so as to believe him. Notice here that verses 31 and 32 interpret the parable. That first son, the son who worked, he represents tax collectors and prostitutes. The second son, the son who did not work, he represents the religious leaders, with that audience picking a fight with Jesus. A mention of John in verse 32 ties this parable to what we just examined in the previous verses. Now, this first son is given the command to go to work. Go work in the vineyard. He answers, I will not. Now, you and I might hope for some response from the father at this point. Soap, Tabasco, some form of a paddle. But we know that's not the point of the parable. And thankfully, in this parable, we see a change of heart. What does the text say? He regretted it, and he went. It's important to note in this parable that in verse 29, the Greek word for regret it is exactly identical to the word for remorse in verse 32. My translation is the New American Standard. English Bible versions are going to use different words in these places, but in Greek, they're the exact same words, and they tie this account together. Now, the word that we are seeing here in Greek is not the word that we often see as repent. The word Jesus uses doesn't go that far. In fact, this word in this text is a word translated remorse. It's used of Judas Iscariot. He felt bad for betraying Jesus, but he didn't repent. He felt remorse. But that also doesn't mean that the word is worthless. We don't throw out that word. Because notice in verse 32, the remorse is directly tied to belief. This is good. This is instructive. It teaches us that our emotional state can can lead us and move us toward saving faith, toward belief. The word greases the wheel, so to speak. It doesn't guarantee change in a human heart. Judas Iscariot proves that. But it does, however, aid the heart in true repentance to faith. So here the son, the first son, starts off bad, but ends well. Look at the second son. What a model boy he is. The dad said the same thing to him, and he answered, Dad, I will, sir. So polite. So respectful. 
He has manners. But how does verse 30 end? He did not go. He promised obedience up front, but there was no follow-through. And this second son started out well, but he finished poorly. Well, in this parable, we observe that the tax collectors and the prostitutes are the first son. Initially, thinking about their lifestyle, they rejected God. They rejected the Father, but then they obeyed. They went out to this baptism of John. John, remember, was a precursor or a forerunner to Jesus. John is out there pointing to Jesus who's to come after him. And they're going out there as sinners, but they're coming back as saints. They felt remorse for their sin, and that led them to repent, to turn from their sin, and to believe upon Jesus. Here, God is bringing repentant, believing people into his heaven. And that maybe you hear this morning. You know, at, at first, or perhaps sometime, you've been saying no. No, I'm not going to get into all that Christian stuff. But maybe something is changing. Maybe there's some remorse in your heart. Maybe something is going on where there's a regret for sin. That's a good sign. Maybe you're coming to Christ later, but you're coming. That's better than the religious leaders, is it not? They actually condemn themselves in this account if you caught it. Jesus asked them in verse 31, which of the two sons did the will of his father? Well, they say the first. And with authority, Jesus declares, listen to what he says to them. Truly I say to you that tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. These are the religious people that he is speaking to. I mean, they have to be beside themselves at this point. He just told them that the worst of the worst are going to get into heaven, but they are not going to. And to feel the force of that in our day, us sitting around in a church this morning, this is akin to Jesus coming along and saying to you and I that the drug addicts and the homosexuals will get into the heaven before the churchgoer. That's the force of what Jesus is saying to these people. The religious leaders in John's day, they looked good. They went out to see John. But they didn't feel remorse. And they didn't repent. And they didn't believe. These leaders are running into the same dilemma as people in our day. Who is the authority? Is it me? Or is it God? My ways or God's word? And I think it's very tempting to point the finger at the world and to tell them they better get on board with God. But we need to remember who this sermon is directed toward. Jesus speaks to the religious, to people who were brought up believing in God, to people who knew Bible verses, to people who didn't hang around the worst of the worst. They weren't crowding around the tax collectors, the prostitutes, or the really bad people. So we need to ask ourselves this morning, in this account, who are the bad people? It's the religious who avoid the authority of Jesus Christ. Because it convicts. 
And when the authority of Jesus convicts, it gets uncomfortable. And they start asking questions. We might do the same. They start reasoning among themselves. We might do the same. Because when the authority of the Lord starts to move into some of these areas of our lives, these areas that we perceive we are still Lord over, boy, it can get uncomfortable. Because if we're honest, there's just not room for us and for Jesus in those areas. And that conviction that he brings, it's going to bring a humility or it's going to bring a pride. And I would contend that these religious leaders stand as examples for you and I this morning. Examples of what not to do in response to the authority of Jesus. His authority has produced a a clarity for us today. And his authority can bring with it a conviction for us today. And Lord willing, when that happens, we will respond with humility. And we'll respond in in repentance. And and, and we'll respond to Jesus in a way that, that makes him king over our lives and not we ourselves. Because I know this morning in a place like this, many of us profess Jesus as our authority. And that is good. And we should. But we also recognize that's not the point of the text, is it? It's a call to live with Christ as our authority. Not just to say that we're going to go into the fields like the son did, but to actually go into the fields. And to borrow from our text from last week, not just to to bear leaves on the tree, but to bear fruit on the tree as well. It's the question Jesus asked back in Matthew 7. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And when that second son rolled out of bed that morning, he addressed his father very respectfully, Sir, I will go. But the father didn't want that answer. He wanted to see his son get up and go. And that's how our Heavenly Father is with you and I this morning. He desires us. And He desires all of us. Not segments, not pieces. He wants all of us in all of our words and all of our deeds, all for Him, all for the glory of God and the building of His kingdom. And we can praise God that there is a third son in our text today, isn't there? Here's a son who said he would go And he's a son who went. And he's a son that because he obeyed, he holds all authority and all power. And he is a son who is completely trustworthy for our lives. For all who give their lives to him. For all who exchange their authority for his. It's to those that he redeems and he blesses and he keeps. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, you are the king, and you hold all authority. You are a good king who's never erred, sinned, or made a mistake. Lord, help us to give all of our lives to you, to trust you, to surrender to you, to believe you. Lord, we know that you love us. And that you come to us as a king filled with grace and mercy. Help our hearts to receive your lordship today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.